agree upon the meaning of words, then false information could be conveyed. If, if someone thinks a word means something different than what I think, then they may take my words and make a different application of them than what I ever intended. And so we, we always have this problem of definitions. I heard a sort of a humorous illustration of this a, a long time ago. Some fellow received a message, and the message that he received, a written telegram, said, Quote, your Uncle James being advanced in years and being debilitated both physically and intellectually by reason of the frailties that attach to the encroachment of senility and having suffered severe financial reverses in a moment of temporary dementia precipitated his own demise. Well, the guy couldn't make any sense of that. He didn't know what that meant. He, he couldn't figure out what the message was supposed to be and and so he took it to his neighbor, who was a learned man. He thought his neighbor would be able to translate that for him. And so he took it to his neighbor, and his neighbor read it. And then his neighbor said, well, he said, it just says that your Uncle Jim got old, lost his wad, went nuts, and bumped himself off. Oh, yeah, I can understand that. That makes sense, right? Definitions. We've got to make sure that we're using words the same way and that people understand our meaning when we use words. We want to talk about a word today, a very common word, that I'm not sure people totally understand its meaning because it's misapplied a lot. We want to talk about the word church this morning and the meaning of the word church. I think it's so obvious that people do not understand its real meaning as used in the Bible because they attach the word church to all sorts of things that it ought not to be attached to. And so we hear about church softball leagues or we hear about a, a church pie supper, or we hear about a church social. Well, the church doesn't have anything to do with those sort of things. And so, because people don't really, I think, accurately understand the meaning of the term, they apply it in wrong ways. And so this morning, what we want to do is try to clarify the meaning of the word church and make sure that our definitions are accurate to the Scripture. Before we go further into that, let us stop here for a minute to thank you all for being here. We appreciate your presence very much. As was already mentioned, there are a number of visitors with us today. We're glad that you've come our way, and we want you to come back every time you have a chance to be here. We want you to know that we are open to questions, and we are anxious to engage in Bible study. And so if we can help you with Bible questions, or if you'd like to engage in a period of one-on-one -on -one or personal Bible studies, please let us know, and that can be easily arranged. We'd look forward to doing that. But we thank you all for being here today. Uh, and we hope that as we assemble together, God will be glorified and we will be edified. To start off our discussion about the word church, I want to refer you back to the, to the text that Jacob read for us earlier from Matthew chapter 16. You remember that uh, Jesus had asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? And they say, well, men are saying that you are John the Baptist, come back to life maybe, because John at that point had already been killed by Herod. Or maybe you're even one of the Old Testament prophets like Elijah or, or Jeremiah who've come back. Uh, of course, those were not the right answers. And so Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. 
And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I can never read through that passage or discuss it without necessarily stopping for a minute to correct the the false Catholic claim about Peter. Notice, uh, Jesus said upon some rock he was going to build his church. He says, uh, thou art Peter, and upon this rock. And the Catholics have assumed that the church was built upon Peter because of that. And that's really the wrong conclusion from this text. This whole context was about the identity of Jesus. Who am I? And and uh, Peter had accurately said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so then Jesus says, Just like you are Peter, I am the Son of the living God. It was a whole context about identity, right? And so he only says, Thou art Peter, to show sort of a parallelism. Just like you are Peter, I am the Son of God. And he says it's upon this rock, my identity as the Son of God. He says, upon this rock, I will build my church. I, I think we've got to be clear about that in this text and be ready to explain it because it is a, a passage that is misused sometimes. The rock upon which the church is built, not Peter. The rock upon which the church is built is the identity of Jesus as the Son of the living God. But I want us to concentrate on what Jesus promised here. He said, upon this rock, my identity as the Son of God, I will build my church. The word church, I'm sure you understand and probably have heard many times before, the word church comes from this Greek word, ekklesia. And it's a word composed of two parts. The first part, ek, means out of. And the last part of this is a form of the verb kaleo, to call, to summons, to invite. And so, if you put those two parts of the word together, the church involves something about those who have been called out. Called out. Let's look at this a little differently. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus describes His purpose to coming to earth. He says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Jesus came to save the lost. But we already saw that he came to build his church. And that would seem to indicate that saving people from their lost state and the church somehow relate to one another, right? He said I will, he came to build his church, but he say, said he also came to save the lost. Therefore, those things must go together. Saving the lost and building the church must agree with one another. In fact, we see that being the case. In Acts chapter 2, day of Pentecost in the city of Jerusalem, when the gospel of salvation was first preached to the Jews, verse 41 says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. They heard the truth. They were obedient to it. They were baptized for the remission of their sins. And the Lord added them to the church. There's that word again. But this sort of puts it together, doesn't it? It talks about them being saved, and those who were saved were added to the church. They had been called out uh, of their lost condition in sin, and they were added to the church. And so I think a really good working definition of church, ecclesia, 
is those who have been called out of sin to salvation through obedience. I believe that's our definition. That's what we're looking for. That's what we need. And so we want to talk about the church as the called out. If someone were to ask you to define the church, what does it mean? I think of, we're not all great Greek language students, I think, but we do know that word, don't we? Ekklesia. Ekklesia is the Greek word for church, or at least it's the word that's been translated in our English Bibles as church. Ekklesia. Out of, to be called. We're called out. We're called out of the world, called out of sin, called to salvation in Christ Jesus. That's what the church is. All right, now with that definition in place then, I think we can answer some question. If the church is the called out, probably the first question that comes to mind is, who's doing the calling then? And the answer is obvious. The call comes from God. A call from God. We've been called by God. You have caller ID on your telephone at home? I think almost everybody anymore has caller ID. You know, we didn't used to have that, and so if the phone rang, you had to answer it every time it rang. But now with caller ID, you can look on there. And I want to tell you, if it's one of those solicitation calls, you know, somebody trying to sell something, you know, if it's a, especially if it's a toll-free 800 number and they're calling my house, I don't even answer the phone, right? That's unimportant. I don't even want to talk to them. I'm not interested in what they have to say. And so there's a call from somebody that doesn't matter to me at all. But on the other hand, sometimes you're sitting by the phone and just anxious to receive word from someone very important to you. Uh, maybe someone's been on a trip and you want to know that they arrived safely. Maybe someone's been sick and you want to hear the latest update. Are they doing better? And so you anxiously await a call, an important call from somebody that really means something to you. Well, this call that we're talking about here is of that important nature. In fact, it's more important than any other call we might ever receive. This call is from God. The call comes from God. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, God has saved us, notice, and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which were given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. God is calling. God called us through His Son, Jesus Christ. Paul would speak in Philippians chapter 3, verse 14, of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And so, uh, the, the first easy answer, as we think about the church as the called out, is who's making the call? Well, of course, it is God who makes the call. Well, the second question would be, then, how does he call? How does the call come? And the answer to that question is that God calls us by the gospel. I know you've heard before uh, sort of the humor, humorous story of this fellow who, who believed that he had received a call from God to become a preacher. God called him to preach. He was just sure of it. And so he took on that assignment and he tried to preach. But I'm telling you, he just couldn't get the job done. He was really sorry. He just could not bring a good lesson and people couldn't stand to listen to him. And finally, an older brother took him aside and said, Man, what made you think that you're supposed to be preaching? Well, he said, I was, I was out on the barn lot one day and, and uh, I looked up into the clouds and very distinctly I saw in the clouds the form of a GP. GP. And I just knew that that meant that the Lord was telling me, go preach. The old man said, well, he said, well, 
He said, maybe, but had you ever thought about the possibility that GP meant go plow instead of go preach? Uh, But but people think they get calls like that, don't they? They they see something or they get an emotional feeling. Something overwhelms them. They think that they're receiving a, a, a direct message from God, a call, if you will. Lots of religious groups practice that sort of thing. And sometimes as we're talking to our friends in the religious world, they'll even relate to us what they call their salvation experience. And usually it's some overwhelming emotional event in their life and they believe they got a call from God. God was telling them to do something. That's not the way it works. God calls us, but He doesn't call us mysteriously or supernaturally. God calls us by the gospel. A very plain passage in regards to this is 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 14. God called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. God calls us by the gospel. I don't know how you can make it any plainer than that, right? If you're waiting for some better felt than told experience to know that you should obey God and do His will in your life, stop waiting. The call has already been made, and it's made through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Someone said, hang on there, wait just a minute, preacher. Uh, What about John 6, verse 44? In John 6, verse 44, Jesus said, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. See there, preacher? You You can't even imagine to come to God unless he hath drawn you. And they say, there there you are, there's that call, there's that supernatural experience. That's what I'm talking about, they say. And you're wrong to say that the only way God calls us is through the gospel. No, they're actually wrong because they're misapplying this passage. Take the very next verse in context. Now read it again. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Next verse. It is written in the prophets, they shall all be taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh to me. And so, how is the, how is the drawing done? When you are taught, when you hear, when you learn. That's how the call comes. That's how the Lord draws those who will come to salvation. It is the Word, isn't it? It's through the Word that God makes the call to salvation. We're being called out. We're being called out of sin to salvation through obedience to Christ Jesus. We're being called. The call comes through the gospel. Well, another question along that line would be the question about who. Who does he call? Who is the call for? And the answer is the call is for all men. I'm sure you're aware of the fact that there are people in the religious world who teach the idea that not everybody is to have salvation. Salvation is not for all. That God has not extended this call to everyone, but only to select certain individuals. Some of our religious friends teach the notion of predestination and that God has pre-chosen who will be saved and who will be lost. And those who will be saved are going to be saved no matter what. They couldn't miss it if they wanted to. But on the other hand, those who are lost are going to be lost and they couldn't be saved no matter how hard they tried. It's all been predestined. And and so really salvation is not for everyone. It's only for select individuals. I want to tell you, they are absolutely wrong about that. Uh, 
First of all, it's, it's just not even in the nature of God to select some and exclude others from his blessings. In Romans chapter 2, verse 11, there's no respect of persons with God. If predestination is right, there absolutely is a respect of persons with God, right? But the text says there's no respect of persons with God. In Ephesians 6, verse 9, your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. When the apostle Peter went to Cornelius, who would become the first Gentile convert. Now, understand the, the, the historical setting of this. Up until Acts chapter 10, the gospel had only been preached to Jews. It had been preached to Samaritans who were in sort of halfway Jews in chapter 8. But really in Acts chapter 10, Cornelius is the first out-and-out Gentile to have the gospel preached to him. Peter had to be persuaded by a, by a heavenly vision to even go to that man's house and preach the gospel to him. But when he got there, in Acts chapter 10, beginning verse 34, Peter said, it says he opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. I don't know about you, but when I read that, I, I, I'm just dumbfounded that anybody could believe in the notion of predestination. When we read so much that God is not a respecter of persons, then that he wants all men to be saved, the, the, the notion of predestination is just so wrong. The call is for everyone. The call is for you. It's for me. It's for everyone. Maybe look at this, argue this a different way. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, it says, God called you into the grace of Christ. Now there again is the idea of a calling. God called. God called you. What did he call you to? Into the grace of Christ. God called you into the grace of Christ. All right? Now combine that verse with Titus 2, verse 11. It says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Notice that. God called, he called you into grace. Well, who, who has been called to the grace of Christ? All men. The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. Therefore, the calling into the grace of Christ is clearly for all men. There's just lots of ways to argue that, but any, the way, any way you come at it leads you to the same conclusion that this call of God is for everyone. So we know who calls. We know how he calls. We know who is being called. We could ask the question, why does he call? And the answer to that is really important. He calls us to deliver us from sin. We might not really think it too much right now, but cold weather's coming. It can't be too far away, even though we've been experiencing a, an un, unusually warm autumn. Cold weather is coming. And I want you to think about one of those really, really cold winter mornings. I mean one of those frigid ones. And the heat is out at your house. You have no heat in your house. And it seems almost like it's colder inside than it is outside at your house. It is so cold. And I call you and I invite you to come over to my house because my house is warm. Would that be an appealing call? Oh yeah. Yeah. If, if, if my house had no heat in it and you, and yours does and you're inviting me to come there, that would be a welcome call. Right? But on the other hand, 
If I'm sitting there in my house and I am toasty warm, I mean it's just nice and warm. In fact, I've even upped the I've even upped the heat. You know, I've thrown an extra log on the fire, and, and you call me and say, "Come over to my house because my house is warm." I said, "My house is warm too. I don't really need that." You know, there's there's no real draw, there's no real appeal. I'm not really excited about getting out and coming to your house because I'm already sitting here in my warm toasty house. I don't have much to gain by coming to your warm house because my house is already warm. You get what I'm you get my point here? Only when there is a need do we really appreciate a call or an invitation. Right? When there's a need, if there's a need like that, I'd be really anxious. But if I don't really need what you're offering, I'm I'm not I'm not affected by your invitation too much. There's an application spiritually here. We're receiving a call of God to deliver us from sin. But if I don't realize the horrible condition I'm in, lost in sin, then the call doesn't mean much to me because I'm not focused on my deplorable condition, lost in sin. And that's why we really have to stress just how horrible sin is and what a, and in what a terrible condition we exist if we have not answered God's call, we've got to see ourselves as lost sinners, destined for hell's eternal torment. Only then, when we see ourselves in that situation, will we be motivated to do something about it. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, Peter says, You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of Him, notice that, hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. We have been called out of darkness. We've got to appreciate that. We were in that lost darkness of sin. We've been called out of that. There's that terminology again, by the way, called out. We've been called out of that horrible darkness of sin. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, God hath delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. Notice, delivered from the power of darkness. You were in the grips of Satan. He had you right where he wanted you. And God made a call to bring you out of that. Now, do you understand the situation? Do you realize how important it is to be delivered from that sinful state? That's why this call is the most important call of all. Because it's being made to deliver us from the power of darkness, from the curse of sin, and from the eternal damnation that will come to those who have not made preparation. The call is so important. Finally then, the simple question, how do I answer the call? And when does that happen? How do I answer? When does it happen? And the answer to that is we, we receive the call. We accept the call when we are obedient. I want you to go back to a verse, a very familiar verse that we looked at earlier. Acts chapter 2. Beginning in verse 41, then skipping to the end of the chapter at verse 47. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Now, we were emphasizing earlier this word church, the, the called out. But notice, who, who did the Lord add to that church? Well, when they gladly received his word and were baptized, they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. The Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. And so we answer the call and we become part of that church, that called out assembly. We become that 
when we humbly submit in obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's, that's pretty simple, right? To answer the question, when and how do we accept his call? Well, what's the conclusion? The conclusion is this is really important. It's important for us to understand the right definition of the word church. And then, of course, it's very important for us to be a part of that one true church of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. By the way, the New Testament teaches us that there's only one church of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the information for another lesson, and we'll stress that again. Maybe even soon we'll talk about the one true church. There's not a multitude of churches out there. There are not thousands of churches, and you can choose the one that you like. There's one true church of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's composed of those who have been called out of sin to salvation in His Son, Jesus. Are you a member of that church? Are you part of the body of Christ? Have you received the forgiveness of sins so that you can be added to the called out people of God? To be in that relationship with Him now and to have the hope of heaven in eternity. Are you part of the called out? That's our question to you. If not, we hope you make that decision without delay. Upon hearing, believe, repent of your sins, confess Christ as the Son of God, be baptized for the remission of sins. He will add you to His church. If you've not done that, we hope you'll do that. If you need more information or study, say a word. We'd be glad to study with you. If you're a Christian already, but you've fallen away and you haven't maintained that relationship with God, we urge you to come back to Him in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help, let us know while we stand and sing.